0: Hello, hello, and uh, welcome to another exciting episode of Skeptics and Seekers Sunday Sermon Supplemental. That sounds like five S's to me, so this is five S. I'm David Johnson. Let's get started. We've got uh, Andrew uh, with us today. I felt like uh, it would be good to invite him along because we have some shared religious past. Uh, doing a doing an episode of the Church of Will. Before I get into all that, Andrew, how you doing?
1: I'm I'm doing great. Thanks for having me along. This uh, this should be an interesting one. We do share some some religious past, and um, <laughs> oh boy, does this uh, does this particular sermon uh, bring up the past? Right, uh, not in a pleasant way.
0: Yeah, it's um, not only not pleasant; it's almost <clears throat> uh, it's almost P.S. PTSD. Um, I, don't, yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't use that word lightly. Uh, I've never been in the military. Um, there are other particularly bad things that have not happened to me, but there, there. I have had a lot of bad things that have happened to me, and uh, I do. I do have a tinge of that. I think, and in in that light. This really brings me back to a bad place. Uh, I don't have much reason in my real life to go back and visit the Churches of Christ. Uh, I consider them a full on cult, and I consider myself a cult survivor. And I know that people who are members of the Churches of Christ don't think of it that way and would be very offended if they heard me talk like that. But that's only because they're still inside the cult. Um, so let's just address that for a uh, half second. Um, even among mainstream Christians of other faiths, the Churches of Christ seem particularly cult-like. Um, thoughts?
1: A number of years ago, back when I was uh, in college, I took a class. I, I, well, it's, two, it's the same class, two sections over two semesters, right? I don't remember whether it was Section One or Section Two, but the the class was called denominational doctrines, and the the first part of the class was really uh, was really comparative religion. I think it was the second section that talked about major cults. So, of course, we called that section the second semester demon doctrines, right? But well, here's here's what's funny. Um, Early on in the class, we were studying what traits cults share so that they can so that they can be really identified as cults, right? And see you have things like um, believing that they're the only ones going to heaven. Not well, that applied to the church of Christ, as you know. Um, having having private or special reading of passages that may that that is different from the plain reading. Well, certainly that applied to Church of Christ. Um, um, separating separating their members, uh, isolating them. Uh, again, something else that the that the Church of Christ did. There were there were some others, but it doesn't matter. Let me let me
0: let me throw in one or two. Uh, controlling the day to day mundane aspects of people's lives, such as yep. who you can marry. Uh, who you can date, how you can date—that's um, that's very cult-like. And many churches of Christ did yeah. that sort of thing. Uh, personality, uh, personalities, powerful personalities being kind of the the well, center, cult
1: of personality, right, yeah. uh,
0: being being the center of the religious uh, practice. M- many churches of Christ fall into that cult of personality issue, because there is no denominational hierarchy. And so yeah. the um, highest uh, authority in a congregation is within that congregation. And so it's just a matter of who leads that congregation and how strong of a grip they have over that con- congregation. They can they can become a yeah. de facto cult leader.
1: There's always a level, of, well, I don't know about every cult. Uh, the ones that I'm familiar with, and that turns out to be quite a number. There's, uh, there's always a, a degree of persecution complex, uh, demonizing the, the people on the outside. But, but the funny thing about this particular class on this particular day is, as the professor is is telling us about these uh, pillars of cults, right? He's going through and talking about private interpretation and, and election and uh, isolation and yada, yada, yada. And uh, (laughs) every one of these, every one of these pillars of, of identification, he says, now people will say that the church of Christ is a cult, but we're not because. And, uh, and so in the, in the case of, of private interpretation, uh, he said, well, this isn't private interpretation. This is a matter of, of study. And, and if you, you know, if these people just study. Uh, they'll come to the same conclusions we do. Well, that's very much what cult members, uh, cult leaders would say, right? Well, we don't isolate our members. We don't. We don't isolate like cults do. Um, we're in the world, but not of the world. And of course, we don't believe that church members should marry non-church members because you're not supposed to be unequally open. You see what I mean? Right. And uh, and so. But
0: you see, we didn't believe that a person could uh, marry someone outside of the denom- denomination.
1: Quite unequally yoked. We're not right. supposed to be, and <laughs> unequally yoked. And so the, the funny thing was, I sat, I sat in a class as a cult member, and knew I was in a cult at some level. Um, but was you know, but but we're trained to ignore. That were in a cult. Yeah, it's that was a, it's a fascinating a, thing about the class. It,
0: there's a there's a certain cognitive dissonance uh, yeah. that uh, that is a part of that. Uh, I I read a book on cults uh, when I was a. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, when I was a kid, I, I was still what I would consider a kid anyway. Um, and um, I did have enough self-awareness to r- recognize that, huh, that uh, there are some similarities. But I also had a, enough uh, church indoctrination to be able to say, yeah, but here's why we're not a cult. So we may have that characteristic but we're not a cult because we're
1: right. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. It was, it was most bizarre. Uh, and I can say this uh, for those of us that took the class: uh, when we walked out of the room that day, it was the quietest I have ever heard. A group of college students. Um, there was a there was a real uh, there was a real problem contextualizing that class. And, uh, and we were all uncomfortable. You know, we, we all recognized, I think at some level that we were in a cold.
0: Yeah. I, I will pull out just one example to help contextualize this for listeners. I mean, you and I, we have a lot of, uh, this history, a lot of shorthand, and we don't have to explain, uh, these things to each other but most people don't even they've never heard of this denomination or they think they have and they've <laughs> they really haven't uh they're, they're thinking about the wrong group of people so um the church of christ is a denomination that by and large in its in its mainline form uh, believes that worshiping with the accompaniment of instrumental music is a sin and is enough of a sin that it would probably send you to hell uh, if left unrepented. So, so um, that sounds crazy when you say it out loud but the reason i uh, mentioned that is because um one of the characteristics of a cult is to have particular beliefs and or doctrines that segregate you from the rest of the people um, and so uh if you think about judaism um, if you could, by the way, people, the, the noise that you hear, uh, Andrew's out for a, for a walk. <laughs> this was, this was the, only, the only time we could hopefully schedule this. So.
1: Hopefully that'll help. Uh, I hope that, I hope that cut down, uh, on the wind noise. I tried to conceal the mic.
0: Okay. Uh, yeah, that, uh, that seems to have helped a little bit. So uh, I just wanted to let people uh, know what was going on there. Um, yeah, thank you. so, um, the the Jews they had a number of laws that separated them from everybody else that created a them a situation they had dietary restrictions that seemed only for the purpose of keeping Jews from eating and dining with their neighbors because dining is an important social bonding. Um, tradition. And if you can't eat with someone, you can't bond with them. And so the dietary laws were were an artificial way of segregating uh, the Jewish people. Uh, there were also marriage laws. You, you can't marry those people over there. Uh, and so, you know, lots of things within the Jewish Uh, religion that are there simply to keep the people segregated uh, from the rest of the world. And so one of the things that kept the Church of Christ, by the way, I consider uh, ancient Judaism a cult too, so come at me, sisters and brothers. Um, So one of the things that segregates the uh, Churches of Christ from other denominations besides telling the people I can't marry outside the church, is saying that you can't uh, worship with the accompaniment of instruments. Well, almost every other denomination in the world uses musical instruments as a matter of accompaniment. So you know what you can never do? You can never go visit someone else's church and listen to those sermons and uh, see those Bible classes and hear those perspectives and get to know those people because you've got this artificial barrier that uh, that puts the fear of hell in you if you dared cross that
1: line and I want to I want to follow that fear of hell and instrumental music for a second because sometimes it's, it's sometimes we're just trying to give people a, a sense of what it's really like to be in this kind of religious oppression. So I want to follow that because uh, Christians, a lot of Christians, also listen to uh, praise music outside of worship service, right? <laughs> and uh, and there are a lot of Christian bands. Uh, in fact, there've been some sort of famous defections of late. But we'll we'll leave those we'll leave those alone. Uh, um, there, there's a lot of Christian music out there, and the tremendous majority, far over 99%, is recorded with instruments, guitars and, and drums and pianos and synthesizers and whatever. And if you were deep into the conservative church Christ, there's a real question about whether you could even listen, to praise music outside of a worship service with musical instruments in those songs. There, there's a real debate. That debate is still going on today about whether people that live uh, that listen to, it doesn't have to be a rock band. Clearly, if you're listening to a Christian rock band, uh, <laughs> no matter whether they have instruments music or not, you're going to hell. It's that it's bad, folks, no kidding. But you, you listen to the most mild manner Christian music outside worship with musical, uh, with, uh, musical instrument accompaniment, And there are a lot of members of church Christ that will tell you you're in danger of going to hell.
0: Oh yeah. Um, just writing to church, uh, in the car with someone, if they were listening to praise music that had instrumental accompaniment, uh, we never said anything about it but we felt extremely uncomfortable extremely uncomfortable and so what the faithful person would do and you know that they're faithful is that they had uh, they would buy uh, worship music from a cappella groups and hey, that's acapella what they vocal would, band absolutely yeah. and and others But um, they would they would listen to a cappella groups so that they wouldn't have to mix um, worship, e- even private worship with instrumental music because it part of this line was, well, is it just a prohibition in public worship or what about private worship? I mean, I was a musician. Uh, I was a musician as a kid uh, and I also um, was responsible for uh, directing the singing from a very, very early age, uh, because I, I could carry a tune. And, um, but I was also one of the few people who could also play a piano. So, uh, I practiced a lot. Well, what did I practice? Um, well, m- my parents never, they never cracked down too hard, but they had no problem with me playing secular pop music. But they did kind of have a problem with me
1: playing religious music, <laughs> even at home. <laughs> and, and you might you might remember because this happened uh, when we were young enough to care about music uh, at the at the level of it being part of our life. You know, it's it's, yeah. a, it's an emotional. You uh, you played uh, you played the
0: trumpet uh, there for a while, didn't you?
1: Oh well, and uh, transitioned from that to. I found my love of uh, of of music on the tenor sax. So uh, that's where I ended up. And um, uh, look, I still love the sax, I, I still hold one. Um, so you may remember that ABB, that's a cappella vocal band for the uninitiated. Yeah, um, uh-huh. So there was a time when ABB, uh, did only a cappella music and only sang words in four-part harmony. And at some point, uh, while we were young and in college, um, that changed somewhat. And they started doing some some beatboxing right. in the background. Sure. some Some beatboxing and humming and what I guess I'll call synthesizing musical instruments. Uh, right uh and that was in my social group and i don't know if this was true for your social group it was in the church of Christ yeah so in my social group that was the downfall of avB and as i recall though you may know much more about this than i do uh but as i recall the group didn't last long after that
0: well you know keith land keith Lancaster continued to uh work in the industry uh, we could say and he still had uh- he Still had a, a faithful following in the churches of Christ. Um, he uh, he got throat cancer, uh, therefore, I um, did not know that. Oh, okay, yeah, he um, I knew him a little bit, uh, met him once or twice, but um,
1: I met him before the fall,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I met him after. <laughs> so, uh, interesting, okay, yeah, so um, yeah, he he continued to have uh, a following but those that were really conservative i i suspect the siebel's road type uh would have uh walked away from him
1: well so it was it was i don't know how you get worse than walking away except that there's a a way of walking away uh my college roommate and i uh, got rid of our pre-musical instrument synthesis uh, sorry, folks. Uh, you, some of you won't even know these existed. We got rid of our cassette tapes.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to do an explainer on cassette tapes. Uh, <laughs> look it up.
1: <laughs> um, look. Uh, what I can tell you about cassette tapes is it was a recording media, and it didn't, and it wasn't shiny.
0: Yeah, you see, okay. I was, I wasn't even going to tell him that. Just look it up.
1: <laughs> uh, so. You know that was that was the thing. It's it's not just walking away. It's disfellowshipping, and I know we're going to get to that later. So actually, why know. don't we
0: just why don't we jump in right now? Um, okay, if, if for just a little inside baseball, you guys. This is the second time Andrew and I are doing this show because the last time we did it, uh, there were multiple technical issues that killed it and I can tell you it was one of the best shows we've done
1: it was this will
0: not be that good sh-
1: <laughs> but- no um you know it was it's a sh- it's a shame that that hour is lost yeah uh, to humanity it's it's the best hour of podcasting never heard yes
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, I, I have well, I, pray, I but- have my side of half of the conversation. so listening to that out of context doesn't really help a lot
1: (laughs) hey that's probably 75 percent of the goodness you should put it up (laughs) no it's only
0: you see it's like uh the straight man and the funny man uh this this the straight man needs the funny man to be funny Anyway, never mind. I'm not
1: mind. sure. Given it, where I live, I'm not sure that you didn't just put a target on my back. Thanks, but yeah, yeah. I, I think I don't <laughs> think you
0: quite got the context I was talking about there. That's that's fine. Anyway,
1: um, <laughs> so so yeah. So this is this is the second time around, and we were about to dive into this fellowshipping because it's another glimpse into uh, the the deep darkness of cultism
0: right it's it's one it's just another one of the ways to keep people in line. And if they don't stay in line, you know it's not it's not like you line them up by the side of the road and you've killed them. it's It's not that, but it is a way of killing relationships uh, and bonds among friends and even within families of defectors. Yes. So, um, essentially, disfellowshipping. And, and by the way, the Churches of Christ aren't the only uh, people who practiced it. But disfellowshipping someone—what uh, do they? What do other denominations call this? Um,
1: excommunication. Ex, uh, the Catholics
0: Seems. would would say excommunication. Um, it's a little bit harsher with the Catholic Church, but well, I don't. I'm not sure it is really. It's it's mostly. The same kind of thing. Uh, by the way, Catholics also a cult. Um, c- come at me,
1: <laughs> bros and
0: sisters. Um,
1: <laughs> so Look, I, I will just say, if you the the moment you are willing to give up on your personal insight about cannibalism, and just say, yeah, every so often. Uh, I eat and drink a thing that turned to uh, skin and blood in my mouth.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're cool. You're, you're, you're cool. Um, disfellowshipping is um, when someone has done something that the uh, church uh, leadership deems to be particularly wrong or especially vile. They will go through a process. Uh, There is a process, but they will go through a process of attempting to restore that person back to Christ. And if that person will not uh, straighten up and fly right, uh, essentially declare that what they're doing is a sin and repent of it publicly then the leadership will have no choice but to disfellowship, to officially and publicly disfellowship that person. And right. once a person has been officially and publicly disfellowshipped, church dogma uh, has it that you cannot associate with that person anymore. With such a person, you can't even eat anymore. Right. And there is... um. There is uh, Your
1: children can't play with their children.
0: Right. It's, no, you can't go to their house, you can't uh, speak to them at the store. Uh they're disfellowshipped and there is there is some debate once again depends on how conservative your church is as to whether family inside of a family if one of the family members in that family has been disfellowshipped can the others even talk to them or eat with them or associate with them what it's you know to what degree can you keep that person in the family and still be disfellowshipped? And, right. and that issue, by the way, to my knowledge, has never been resolved. And so it gets relitigated every time.
1: It, it does. And just for the uh just for the entertainment of those folks who might have some Catholic background, there is a recipe here uh in the Church of Christ. It it is uh seldom followed uh this strictly, but this is the this is the process if someone commits a wrong that uh, that could in some sense be worthy of disfellowship, uh, the first thing you do is you go to that person uh, privately if you know about it and uh, and invite them to repent. You, you tell them you know and you explain what they've done wrong and you, you invite them to repent And if they don't, you go back to them with with a brother Now the, the implication here is usually, uh, some kind of a church leader elder or deacon or uh, preacher um, and if that doesn't work you bring the issue uh, in front of the the local congregation you, you bring it out at a worship service and you invite them to repent if, if that doesn't work you write a letter detailing the wrong and you and you give it to them and that is your disfellowship
0: Right, and they're disfellowshipped not just. It, well, this is how it's supposed to work, right? It seldom right. works that way, but it. Um, you're disfellowshipped not just at that congregation, but at every congregation, and so yeah, churches, right. even though there's no uh, organizational structure uh, that allows uh, churches to. You know, extradite a criminal from one place to right. another. Uh, there is still a kind of a handshake agreement of fellowship mm-hmm. that we are all in this together. And so, uh, if you live in a and city. And that letter
1: is sometimes mailed around. Oh, absolutely. So, 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 sometimes,
0: yeah. A place like Montgomery, Alabama, that has uh, 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 upwards of Over 50. 50. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, ch- congregations in that one city. Uh, what is supposed to happen is that they mail that letter of disfellowship to every congregation. Also, you know, the churches get together, they're they're what's called brothers meetings that, um, you know, are kind of regional in nature. You know, if you've got an organization of churches that may be 10 or 15 strong or whatever, they, you know, they get together maybe once a month, once every um Fifth Sunday uh, between services, and they they meet yeah. and they talk about things, and so the your disfellowship gets passed around so that you cannot just go to some other church and be considered a member in good standing. You're disfellowshipped there as well, and so they what they should do is ask, are Are you here to repent? No, then you have to leave.
1: Yeah, there was something interesting in the numbers that you were. Uh, that you were giving a second ago, uh, somebody will have caught it. So I want to I want to point this out. Yes, in, uh, in Montgomery County in Alabama, there's 50 plus area churches of Christ. This would have been true 30, 40 years ago. I don't know what the number is today, and uh, it doesn't matter for the purposes of this illustration. So you said, you know, uh, every fourth, fifth Sunday, there's sort of a preachers' club, a preachers' luncheon, and you know. Um, Ten or fifteen or twenty preachers will get together. Well, why not fifty? Well black
0: churches, white churches.
1: Yeah, well, and, and the white churches don't like each other all that much. <laughs> right, right. So that, that's but
0: that's one of them. That no, they they sometimes right. cross that barrier, but black churches have their own uh organizational groups and white churches have their own organizational groups, it right. generally speaking, with some few cross pollinating. But there are also it different... is
1: remarkably few too. Yeah, it is.
0: I was I was one of those that uh, crossed crossed the lines uh, pretty pretty easily. So I I went I went to all of them. Uh, but there's also the the difference in the denomination itself of whether you were an ultra conservative uh, church or whether you're a mainline church, and the mainline churches had their organizations. the uh, uh, hyper conservative churches had their organizations. So it it would have never been all of them,
1: right? And and as little cross pollination as there was between uh, black and white churches, and it is remarkably little. It's remarkably little. There's even less cross pollination um, between stripes on the continuum of uh, biblical silence, if you of, of of how conservative or liberal you are. So, if you belong to a um, uh, a Panama Street kind of group, along with uh, Siebel's Road and you know a handful of others, um, those are all that are going to be there. Nobody from um, uh, nobody from uh, Carriage Hills.
0: No, going to be there, they, and they wouldn't be Ever. welcome. They would- <laughs> right, right. <laughs> They've probably been disfellowshipped. <laughs> right.
1: so. And and so the the bitterness. Uh, is remarkable. And this sort of, um, this sort of line drawing around the community is actually a way to enforce the cult rules.
0: Yes. But I guess one of the things that we're we're saying is this is one of the ways where there was even cults within cults. Yep. Uh, so it wasn't just one level of cult. It was cult all the way down different levels uh, that didn't talk to each other (laughs) because, you know, that, that branch of the cult, they weren't cult enough. And that branch was too, too cultish. Right. Uh, there was, it, it's interesting that, uh, those of us that were kind of in the middle, uh, to middle, right. Um, all of the people to the left of us, we did not accept as, as brothers, but, for the people that were to the right of us, they did not accept us as brothers. We would have accepted right. them probably because right. I mean, they they right. had at least the things that, you know, we cared about, but we were too liberal for them. <laughs> right. So.
1: And, and just, just, uh, you know, we're sort of soul bearing here, right? So I guess I'll, I'll go ahead and, uh, and just say that in terms of, of mainstream conservative churches of Christ, uh, I was as right as you could get. Uh, there, there, were people to the right uh, of the of the churches that I worshipped in at that time, um, but they were people that well, we we'll have to get the we'll have to get the communion. But they were one cuppers and uh, uh, congregations that required their women to wear veils um they they were that sort and they were not only cult but even outcast in the cult it, it's, it's i don't know how to describe how strange this is babe. so i am uh, not I sure words through, can do this justice
0: i went through the five uh cool. levels of church of christ uh, before so i will just run through it again uh yeah, real doing. fast and you know if anyone wants to stop and then kind of wiki some of this uh you can but uh there were there were roughly five levels. Um I say roughly because there there are different ways to to divide this up. If you consider the very middle one, the mainline church of Christ, uh Andrew and I were a part of that. Now the mainline church of Christ is way right of center to other denominations. Uh
1: yeah, they're right of the Southern Baptists. So yeah. if you're Familiar with them, the Church of Christ as right of the Southern Baptists.
0: Right, so we we would have been considered a crazy conservative group, even even the milder form of us. But to the left of us uh, would have been the non corporative church, uh, sometimes derisively called the Antes. Uh, mm-hmm. And then to the uh, that's it to the left to the right of us uh, would be them, and then to the right of them would be the one cuppers which are non-corporatives plus they believe that you can only take the lord's supper by sharing a single cup and trust me that's that sounds like a nitpick they're a completely different denominational group almost from right. the right. non-corporatives by by the way non-corporatives a uh, corporation uh, that's what corporate it doesn't mean necessarily cooperation but corporation uh so they're not right they're not corporate and they don't uh practice any kind of co- corporate structure and that means that they don't believe in giving charitable money to organizations or, or forming charitable organizations or forming institutions like colleges or and things like combining-
1: that Right. Or even combining their money with money from other congregations of like mind, in some cases, depending on how non-cooperation you are, even not combining funds to support a missionary in your own Right.
0: Cause. No, they don't. They don't do missionaries uh, uh-uh. um, within within a congregation. Sure. But they don't they don't form like missionary groups to um, or nor the day they support that sort of thing. I know. Sounds weird um so they were they were to the right of us but the one cuppers were the non-cooperatives <laughs> but one more step to uh to the uh, right to the i right. have by the yeah. way worshiped with all of these groups now to yep. the to the immediate left of us uh would have been uh the the christian church uh and there's some there's some and the disciples right and to the to the left of them would be the disciples of christ which are so far left uh they almost it, i i don't see how they are in the same branch but they are
1: you could think of them as roughly equivalent to southern baptist i'm not um oh i think i think reason, they're way
0: more liberal than southern baptist
1: well so the interesting oh man okay diving into the southern baptist okay i'm going to try not to do that there's the reason that they are more similar to the Church of Christ than to the Southern Baptist is is the sort of hermeneutic that they would defend mm. um, but man see now we're we're down into something that I don't think makes great radio
0: so, <laughs> so so yeah, you so, think we're making great radio up to this point
1: yeah. <laughs> well I'm, look, I'm, I'm from a cult. I know what great radio is. <laughs> <laughs> Look, so this this one cup thing um it deserves a little tasting apart because um people may not know that in the church of Christ, um people we, we took communion every Sunday, right? So so what's communion? Right. You know, it's a little a little piece of a cracker and a little bit of grape juice, right? Right. Well the one cuppers, they took communion every Sunday, and every person in the congregation, drank from the same chalice, from the same big cup.
0: Right. And so let me let me just let me just jump in here for just a second in defense of the one cuppers. Uh, they're right in in some of um, in in how they feel. Uh, they have history on their side. This idea of multiple separate little bitty goblets is a fairly recent one. <laughs> and, so, and, and
1: by little bitty, we're talking about uh, these little tiny plastic cups that would hold maybe a quarter of an ounce of, yeah. of grape juice, Half a shot maybe.
0: glass. Uh, maybe yeah. a third of a it's, shot it's glass. It's tiny. Um, yeah, it's tiny. So this this idea, uh, it's, it's a nice idea. And, you know, maybe when we discovered germs, uh, we decided, you know, maybe we could do something else. Uh, but, History is probably on their side, and if you want to talk about how Jesus and the apostles would have shared it, I think that they are right about that. And when you when you read about the ritual in the New Testament, uh, it says, "Take this cup, uh, this cup, not these cups." Um, so this is, at any rate, how they would think, and they don't. So part of their hermeneutic is not nodding to modern tradition that would try to sanitize things that. Uh, you know, we might find unpalatable. And so we change them to make them more modern. And they, they don't think that you can do that. So uh, they share some uh, thought DNA with the Amish uh, in, in that sense. They just, you know, they just, every, every group like this, that kind of wants to go back to the original or stay with the original, whatever the original thing that they all just have different ideas of what the original was. And they are all stopped in time and they're stopped in different places in time. So it just depends on where in time the group chose to stop and, and declare is the, the sacred time when everything was right.
1: Yeah. For all of you folks that uh, are considering visiting a church of Christ, but you don't want to visit the, the one cuppers and you don't know how to tell the difference. If you walk in on Sunday morning and Everybody in the building is wrestling to be on the front row. Those are the one-cuppers, and you you, you, you turn around and leave. Right. So, uh, so they're, they're your, they're your one-cuppers. If, if everybody wants to drink first, uh, those are your one-cuppers. Uh, leave the building. Now, the Church oh, of Christ is
0: not the only place where I've uh, partaken in the one-cup tradition. Uh, no, the, the Catholic, I've been, I've been to a couple of Catholic services, and um, everybody went forward and drank from the, uh, well, wine chalice? Uh,
1: the Episcopalians uh, do. I went to a, well, I don't know if they always do, but I went to a midnight uh, Christmas Eve service uh, a number of years ago. And um, First of all, you know, if you if you are a Church of Christer and you think you're about to get great juice, <laughs> you go to a, an Episcopalian service, that's moonshine. <laughs> it's a, it can be a little, it uh, can be a little surprising. Southern wine. Um, but yeah, Southern wine. Uh, it, was, it was good stuff. Um, I, I'll tell you who I envied. Uh, I envied the priest, right? Because he he got to drink last, and <laughs> and he got to drink. That, that that chalice was huge, right? I mean, it's you know this is what you use to water your horses kind of, <laughs> kind of thing. Um, so anyway, yeah. There's uh, there some.
0: It, by the way, Catholic churches. Um, I'm sure that someone will write in to correct me about Catholic churches folks just uh, Catholic churches there are lots of different kinds of Catholic churches yep. and they have a lots of different practices and so there would have been at least one time in Catholic Church history and it's probably still practiced today in some places where only the priest drinks uh, from the cup and eats the bread right. and the thinking is that you don't want to risk spilling even one, Drop, mm, drop of sacred yeah. blood,
1: and by the way, you don't save yourself from uh, from discontinuity by saying, "Well, I don't mean all Catholics; I just mean the Roman Catholic Church." They're, they're they're not any they're not any less fragmented within the brand. Yeah, so you're you're not saving yourself.
0: So uh, there way. was a sermon. Uh, we we've moved down memory lane, uh, but we're like Alzheimer's uh, people. We remember what happened forty years ago. We do not remember the uh, sermon that we listened to a few days ago, um, which is Did you send me true. something?
1: <laughs> I think I did.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure I did a, a 4S on this. <laughs> so, <laughs> you want to stop and listen to that real quick? <laughs> no. Uh, no.
1: No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I, I remember now. I remember clearly. Okay. So let's so, right.
0: uh, let's pick up uh, in Deuteronomy. Uh, we uh, talked to that uh, talked about that in the run up uh, yeah. of this show. So, uh, folks, you remember uh, this is kind of kind of sort of almost where uh, this well, it was earlyish in the sermon anyway, and it's the it's the um, chapter in Deuteronomy where it starts off uh, by you know how to identify a uh, a false prophet. Yeah uh and he he talks about prophets, uh for a little while this one this one actually I know this isn't where you wanted to go Andrew but I want to cover this first because sure. this actually comes first in the chapter and it comes before the thing that you uh did want to go to um so in this passage there is um a uh a, a warning uh, about prophets that could actually prophesy, that that actually could produce signs. Uh, and if they weren't a prophet of God, a, a proper prophet prophet of God, you should ignore the signs. So even if their prophecies come true, this is, this is what the passage says, even if their prophecies come true, um you should ignore them um because god is only sending that prophet to you as a test <laughs> for your faithfulness um so right so the prophet can prophesy you know he can do other things he's he's got the goods he's the real deal except he's not one of god's prophets and you do not walk away from uh the the gospel you had heard from God's uh, legitimate prophets, just because someone else has the goods. God is using that person to test you. And the test is you stand firm no matter what other magics anyone else produces. Uh, So I talked about this um, a a little bit on the show. We don't have to go uh, too much further than this, but the churches of Christ uh, absolutely uh, lean on this idea of don't don't fall for miracles. Now understand, we don't believe in miracles. Um, we are uh, the the main line, and below does not believe in uh, modern miracles. So they they believe that all modern miracles are false. Right. They they believe that all modern miracles is false. As I. Do <laughs> right. So right. Uh, I was.
1: I was going to say, welcome to atheism. <laughs> right. Uh, so...
0: <laughs> so we, you know, we never, we never had a truck with uh miracles. So that's one thing about me that hasn't changed. Now, <laughs> I, I still don't believe um, in miracles, maybe for slightly different reasons. But this I, is
1: except we did believe in the first. The difference between then and now is I did think first century miracles happened.
0: Well, right, right. So the miracles in the Bible, they happened, but miracles after that uh, didn't happen. They're all bogus.
1: But what this guy... Just for the listeners, so they understood that we did think that there was a resurrection and that Jesus turned water to wine and, and all of that jazz. Sure. You know, curse the tree, yada
0: yada yada. Yeah, and, and Paul and Peter raised the dead and all that
1: all that. Cast out demons, yada. Uh, yeah, all of that. But, we we took all of that on. You know,
0: at the end of the Bible, when there's no more miracles to be recorded, then there are just no more miracles. That's don't ask how we got there. It doesn't matter. Um
1: That's called uh apostolic authority, and you can look it up if you care to. just just,
0: just work your wiki, people. Work your wiki.
1: <laughs> In private, please.
0: I feel I feel like that was a bad choice of words on my part. Uh, so uh, yeah, moving moving away from that. Uh, so so it, it's just a very interesting passage. So when this preacher talks about that, you have to understand the mindset that he's coming from. He doesn't believe in miracles anyway, but he it in case he's talking to someone in his congregation. That does believe in miracles, or that could be seduced by someone who believes in miracles. What he is telling them is right out of the Bible. It doesn't matter if someone came around and raised your dead granny, and they did it in the name of the Lord. You should still ignore them.
1: It doesn't matter. And, and the right and the Apostle Paul uh, leans into this idea in Galatians one nine and ten, right? And and so maybe you we're going to gonna get there but it's not as if this this sentiment is is only in the old testament right
0: uh right there's um there's a bit you know the last time i uh went and read this passage that is right when the podcast crashed
1: right (laughs) oh okay i dare you no (laughs) i i I double dog dare you Uh -uh. just
0: not gonna do it (laughs) um but uh i can i can quote much of the uh passage paul says to uh, the galatians uh it, there you know how how quickly you've turned uh from what we've taught you to another gospel which is not another uh but though we or an angel from heaven uh preach any other gospel than that which you have already received let him be accursed uh so said i before i say now again if any man give uh teach you any other doc- doctrine any other gospel than that which we have preached let him be accursed uh,
1: well there's an i in there somewhere because paul actually um if i recall he actually uses the personal pronoun i once y-
0: yes he he is literally telling them the the word that you have heard from me right that's right the only word you can ever believe you can, yeah, right. you can never listen to anyone else. If they tell you something that contradicts what I have told you. And, and even if it is an angel from heaven. So uh, back in Deuteronomy, uh the writer says, you know, if it's a, if it's a prophet, <laughs> uh, right. Paul, Paul amps it up. Even if the, Angel Gabriel comes down to correct me. You should consider Gabriel the one that's accursed.
1: So the last time we talked about this, the the batch that never landed. Um one of the things that bothered me, and I'll just I'll just say it here again. One of the things that bothered me is, is how much circular reasoning has to go on here that that goes unspotted. Right? So Paul's saying. I've told you this thing, and if I tell you something else in the future, don't believe. Well, so, so what do we have? We have, uh, it's true because I believed it, and I believed it because it was true. And once I believe a thing, whatever that first thing I hear is, I can't believe anything in the future. Why? Well, Paul says, if I come back and say something that is apparently contradictory, you shouldn't even believe me,
0: right? It, you, you can't. Yeah. It, this is this actually happens um, often because a, a group of people will maybe be a follower of uh, you know a particular preacher uh, in in his brand of teaching, and then you know later in life, as often happens, he changes his mind on something. That person right. has just now become accursed.
1: <laughs> because, right. Paul, Paul is telling us there is no way to update our beliefs. That should scare all of us.
0: Right. It's it's a it's a thought process that prevents you from uh, considering ideas other than the ones you had when you originally became a Christian. And so you don't if if you study and you start thinking to yourself, oh, you know what? I might have been wrong about doctrine X. You, you're not free to consider that you were wrong about Doctrine X right. because Brother So and So taught you that. And they taught you right. that because that's what Paul taught. And you can never consider any other. Teaching. And so the way this verse is used, particularly in the churches of Christ uh, and by all bad uh, churches that are cult like, is to say that you must close your mind against any new or other or outside information about religion. That is outside of your group. You cannot consider it uh, because that's right. just that's either a that's a, a prophet that God is sending to test you or be uh, possibly an angel from heaven that you should consider a curse because he's teaching you something other than what you've already received.
1: And, and by the way, if you uh, if you have a private interpretation of Galatians 1, 9 and 10 folks. Uh, you think I'm wrong about this plain reading and you've got some other reading? Not chasing you down your cult hole.
0: So Right. And it doesn't matter whether you think but, we're wrong or not. This is how it was taught in the churches of Christ. Uh, and so we're just telling you about that. <laughs> so
1: uh, right. Um, and look, maybe I am wrong. Um, but I don't really care about Galatians one nine ten. So maybe maybe you maybe you can make a good argument that I'm wrong. But you'd also have to make an argument about why I should accept that God said this.
0: Right, and, so, and, so yeah. in, that, in that Deuteronomy passage uh, that he talked about, this was one of the, the thing that makes it the worst passage. By the way, uh, what you do to that uh, prophet is you take them and you kill them. Um, one, of the, one of the things I yeah. noted is even though he had just read from uh, the, the Bible— that you should kill this person. You should murder them. You should put them to death immediately. When he starts exegeting the passage, he changes it to something else. Oh. He he changes it uh, to something like uh, you should uh, you should guard yourself against false teaching and. Uh, make sure they understand that they uh, cannot have a foothold in this in this uh, church. He, he he changes it and sanitizes it as if he were saying what the Bible said. No, what the Bible actually said was you kill them. Uh, and he's using this passage because he thinks the passage is a pretty good idea. He just changes it to modernize it because he knows that you cannot say aloud you should you should kill those people. Um, and similarly, the the part of that passage that follows is if your uh, son or your daughter or your best friend or your your beloved wife uh, comes to you and uh, entices you to go worship other gods that you have not known. Uh, that was that was a, a particular part of the passage that stuck uh, st- stuck out. It. Uh, at me, um, then you are to put that person to death. You are not to listen. Uh, this is part of what what this passage says. You d- don't listen. Don't hear them out. Uh, don't consider what they're saying and have no mercy. You must be the first to uh, uh, start putting them to death with your own hand, it says, and then bring in the community so that they can finish the job. Um, This preacher read this passage without cringing and in fact attempted to use it to make a point of why you shouldn't uh, listen to anyone who is teaching a false doctrine. Um, First of all, this passage is not necessarily about teaching a false doctrine or something else, but it, it says, kill them, murder them with extreme prejudice. This is the kind of material that Christians are stuck with. They have to read that and then regurgitate something else that tries to sanitize that terrible, terrible passage and you can't let him get away with it. He tries to get away with it. I try to point out uh, as he does. But we have learned, I say we as if I were still there, um, Christians in general, in the Church of Christ in particular, have learned how to read such passages and skim right over them so that it never rests on their ears or their conscience. They don't really understand or hear the things that they're reading. He has no idea right. how awful the passage is. Because he, he didn't hear it. He just immediately translated it to something modern.
1: Right. And and this isn't the only place uh that the Church of Christ does this kind of thing. Well, and and that's not just uh, it's not just Church of Christ, uh, fundamental evangelicals of all stripes are guilty of uh of misreading the most horrible passages in the old testament and and trying to rescue them into modern sensibility uh, so that it's okay. Uh, Women and girls as as war prizes. Um, And under the law of of Moses' writing of of divorce, right? Uh, uh, if If a husband is going to divorce his wife or someone else, well, he can't harm her. But she goes out without nothing.
0: Right, and uh, he doesn't have to have right, a reason. She goes
1: out without anything.
0: He doesn't. He doesn't have, right. to have a reason. Uh, I'm not satisfied. Uh, I divorce you,
1: and they just right pick him another winch. Goes out with nothing. Right, he, he doesn't harm her. Right, he he can't beat her, but she gets nothing. Um, and I don't know. I don't know. We could talk about slavery, but then you know. We're, we're going to be hijacking the whole podcast. I'm not against it. Happy to, happy to do it, but you just, you, you made a good point that he, uh, that he recontextualizes this passage into a, a more modern framework so that he doesn't have to deal with the blood on his hands. Right.
0: Right. I'm dealing with this, uh, over on, uh, the red letter side, uh, right now as, uh, uh, we're looking at some of the more uh, gruesome uh, sayings of Jesus and how, how Christians read it and just immediately uh, start contextualizing it as something else. They don't even see the words. They don't even hear the words. They become so practiced uh, at, um, at transforming the words of Jesus into something modern and sanitized. Uh, that it that it's a little bit shocking to them when you actually force them to take a minute and consider what is actually being said
1: you and I both um, I, so I just, just cleansing my uh cleansing my soul here you and I spent time as uh, younger men memorizing passages there was there's a trick we were both pretty good at uh in, in the Church of Christ they are uh, uh, like them or not people of the book um and and to really make your way as a lead figure in the Church of Christ you've got to be able to quote the Bible now there's there's also a trick about using Church of Christ hermeneutics that's a different it's a different conversation uh, but you did have to be able to stand up and deliver a sermon and and the most important part of your sermon was quoting the Bible I don't mean, reading it off a page, folks. The 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 high dollar preachers in the Church Christ, we just quoted this stuff.
0: Right. Uh, it's a
1: Very powerful display, really.
0: Churches of uh, other churches would often have a sermon uh, that would that would focus on one verse, maybe two or three were cited in the whole sermon. A Church of Christ sermon, the typical Church of Christ sermon that I sat through would have featured at least 50 uh, right. Dozens. Of Yeah. of yeah. Uh, and, and
1: there were old preachers like uh, Gus Nichols who s- would stand up and deliver all Scripture sermons. From the time they open their mouth to the time they sit down, they have done nothing but quote Bible verses. Yep. Not an easy feat. Um, so that's how committed they were my point about this whole thing Dave was um, that after memorizing long passages in the Old and New Testament some of them horrible I had to it took me years to see those passages for what they were that's how indoctrinated just commenting on how indoctrinated I was that I could quote these horrible things and not recognize them for what they really were
0: yeah, I was um I was probably in my late 30s when I encountered Dan Barker um his um uh his his book and then uh one or two others. Uh and it it talked about uh the Old Testament God uh mm. his various characteristics. Uh I knew the Bible backwards and forwards. But Reading that book, I, I, I was forced to look at the passages again for the first time. and I couldn't believe how awful they were. Um, and and how I missed it. how did I how did I miss it? Uh, right. you know, as as a member of the right. Church of Christ, right. You could read every week a passage that says, "And God's arrows are drunk with blood," and and not hear it,
1: right? And and nobody else. Will. In fact, it, it's not just that we don't hear it. There is a there is a kind of quiet bloodlust in cults. There's a there's a a, a glee. That the world is going to get it. God is going to deliver, and, and hear the hear the kind of words here. His righteous vengeance, right? There's this there's this bloodlust, um, and today when I hear that kind of thing, um, it's it's somewhere between un, uh, unsettling and and downright scary, depending on you know <laughs> depending on context, right?
0: um well the um just just a a mild uh, example uh, i hate to bring up the abraham test here but um it's on my mind it's so useful uh in other ways uh, but we have all uh known the abraham sacrificing isaac story since you know Birth, um, and even if you didn't grow up in the church, uh, you you encountered that story somewhere along the line. Uh, so the number of times that you would hear that story uh, in a lifetime of going to church, it's uh, it's innumerable, because the example is used in so many ways, hmm. and you hear that story no matter how many times you hear it. Unless someone points it out, here's what you hear: and God was so merciful. That he stopped Abraham from killing his child. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What a great, what a happy ending that is. You see, God is good after all. And what you never hear in the story, even though it's it's read along with the rest of it, but you don't hear it is uh, Isaac was taken out for a long walk to be murdered. By his dad, and from Isaac's perspective, he doesn't know what's going on, and uh, he finds himself. Uh, he starts off thinking it's going to be a great camping trip, and he finds himself tied up on a bed of wood and a knife held over his face, ready to end him. And and I and I just. Uh, I I don't know exactly when it occurred to me that this was monstrous, but I think it was before I had uh, walked out the door is one of those things that helped me walk out the door. Um, but it was late uh in yeah. my in my walk and you I, I try to point this out to people now and you can just see even though it's you know podcast or or discussion boards, you can see their eyes glaze over. <laughs> Uh, what, but what do you mean? What's wrong with that? What, what's, what's the bad, they still don't see it. You have to really take some time to help people see it and, and try to put it in some kind of modern context. Okay. Uh, take your kid, uh, out and tell him that you're going camping, uh, and then, uh, build an altar and tie him up to it. Uh, and then hold up a a knife and start bringing it down and make them think that they're about to die. Um, not only would no parent do that, but if they did it and were caught doing it, they would go to jail. The, the child would be taken away, uh, rightfully so, um, and into the custody of child services, because we know that that's monstrous. For a God to do that, uh, to... A boy. We don't in the story. We don't even think about the mental health of the boy. We don't care. What do we? What do we care? Um, I said one small example. That's already a big example. One more though. I'll make this one small. Job. Story of Job. Uh, goes through hell. Yada yada yada. Ends up with um, uh, everything. But the most monstrous thing about the um story of Job is his family. Uh, how in the Barbet God says, Okay, um you can you can you can get at his family. His family is killed without even being named. They don't they are so insignificant to the story. And people reading the story, uh they're like, Well, why are you focusing on them? Who are they? They're nobody. Do you do can you hear yourself? <laughs> do you do you see this at all? How monstrous you have learned how to be, without even noticing it. This is how the churches of Christ, as well as other denominations, but I think the churches of Christ are particularly good at it. Uh, they they teach you, uh, they indoctrinate you and brainwash you in such a way so that you can't even see the the horrible <laughs> monstrousness of it anymore
1: I I wanna want to use that because uh, Mazzalongo, uh brother if if I if, if I might brother Maslongo it says that what God wanted from the beginning he starts a sermon, have you ever noticed that what God wants most today is what he's always wanted. Yes. He didn't he didn't want big monuments. He didn't want he didn't want grand acts of uh of, of testimony to. Him. He didn't uh, uh he didn't want tremendous works. What he wanted was obedience. And that obedience didn't have anything to do with building big monuments etc cetera, etc. Cetera. Here's here's the problem. Um Suppose I said today, well, Vladimir Putin isn't actually after Ukraine. He just wants the Russian soldiers to obey him. Right. (laughs) Right. So, folks, if, if you hear his words and you think, that makes sense to me, The idea in the New Testament is that Christians are supposed to be soldiers for Christ, right? And and you just think, oh well, Christ just you know just wants my obedience. That's all God wants. If your God wants your obedience, but you are commanded to spill blood to demonstrate it, whether you think. It is just obedience or not. Your obedience is built on the top of shedding blood, and it can't possibly be moral. Right. It can't possibly way, be ethical.
0: By, by the way, if if he doesn't want you to shed blood, but he has in the past wanted others to shed blood, same thing. Sure. Same thing. A-
1: absolutely. And so just I, I I beg you, I beg you, any anytime you have a religious idea, oh God, all God wants is my obedience. Okay, fine. But you've got to ask yourself in every case what the outcome of that obedience accomplishes.
0: Also, you should ask yourself what the consequence of disobedience is because the god who uh demands your obedience is the god who would kill you like a comic book villain uh sure. if if he didn't get it he will kill you he will kill your firstborn he will uh, destroy your family up to the third and even fourth generation uh he, he, there was uh there were monstrous consequences so he wanted people to obey uh him and if your daughter suggested hey have you heard of Buddhism you are to hey let me stop you right there bang that's that's God um uh, and he wants your obedience and don't you dare think about disobedience. uh don't you dare right all right, right. Uh, Maslango, uh a few other things church manners uh church manners uh
1: <laughs> thank you for this one I, I will just thank you in advance <laughs> <laughs>
0: um there was there was a a place uh that i did not uh, give any commentary on uh in the podcast but oh my god um i did i did have an internal moment uh and i i i realized uh i was just like that i was once just like that so uh, let me uh, let me highlight the moment he's he's talking about uh teaching children uh church manners this is all under a uh, bigger um thought about respecting those in authority uh and at one point he even says you know god is not your buddy <laughs> no, god is not your buddy anyway um he he says when talking about uh teaching your kids church manners and um you know, beh- behaving themselves uh, correctly uh, and paying attention in church and and so forth. He said, even the babies, you guys go back and listen to that, even the babies. And then as if he realized, oh, wait a minute, the camera's rolling. Uh, he, he goes over to correct it and he says, well, of course, the babies can do whatever they want. But let me tell you, he actually means it. He actually means yes. even the babies. In the churches of Christ, we have had uh, look, I I let me let me just um go back there. Uh Andrew, I'll let you take this one. Uh church matters, even the babies.
1: <laughs> so uh, where, where do we where do we start with even the babies? first, first some people might be asking, well, wait a minute. <laughs> How many times do you see babies in church service? Well, if you're asking yourself that, it's because um, you're not a member of a cult, probably. Yeah. <laughs> so, in, in the churches of Christ, um, the children, starting from the first day in the most conservative churches, start out in the auditorium. They don't start out in in nurseries. They don't start out in playrooms. They don't start out in children's church. Uh, they start out in the auditorium because there's a doctrine about assembly. And, and that doctrine of assembly says that all the saints must gather together in one place. And um, so, yeah.
0: And, and let me let me just and, add to that. You not only have to gather together in assembly. Assembly is not optional, people. It's a command. Uh, Furthermore, the things that you are supposed to do in the assembly are also a command and not optional. And so if you do an assembly, but you miss one of the performances of worship, you it's it's so you don't miss the assembly, but you uh, just miss one of the performances of worship. For whatever reason, you were in the bathroom when they did it, whatever you you didn't go to assembly at all. And therefore you sinned.
1: Right. And and the church of Christ takes quite seriously. Um, if you um if you don't make it Sunday morning, uh for some for some reason other than sickness or uh, you couldn't get there because you are physically barred in some way. If you could have made it and didn't, um you are actually expected to repent on Sunday night. You might do that quietly in your pew, but missing the assembly is in itself a sin that will cause you to burn forever.
0: Right. Uh, you can't. It, like I said, this is not optional, people. Right. The um, the uh, this ain't no Greek Orthodox church here. Uh, <laughs> this is. <isn't- laughs> I'm so sorry that was uh, was that
1: unworthy to our, to our Greek uh, to our Greek orthodox friend <laughs> that, was, that yes. was unworthy um it's, it's also funny That's, i'm
0: I'm so sorry teddy um but I'm not uh <laughs> Teddy's been on my mind she's got uh she's got uh things going on uh, big big doings and uh I hope hope she's doing uh well with that uh we we can congratulations time time. sir. yeah, yeah. Uh, but no so, churches of Christ, you, you go into church, Bar and uh, furthermore, we did church uh Sunday morning and Sunday evening and Wednesday night, and you're expected to go to all of them. And if you did not if you went to church Sunday morning and you didn't go to church Sunday evening, you didn't have a real good reason for not doing it, even though you're not gonna be disfellowship for it, you're right. you're not really in good standing with that church.
1: No. No there's a it's always so funny to me um i missed occasionally i'm sure you did too now and then and um and so so, so
0: seldom so much less than you would think i was i was a three time a weaker and sometimes seven
1: so i i will simply uh say that i went through phases where um so, You know, my, my big interest was computing, you know, and if I, if I had something, um, in, in computing that I was doing at the time, I, I would miss and I'd feel bad about it. Um, so I, I don't know what a, a modern Christian would think about, you know, was I faithful? I think I was, No, right. But <laughs> yeah, well, no, I'm, let me like I said, that. modern no. Christian. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I just wasn't talking about the barbarian Christian. Thank you very much. No, so I, I did miss occasionally. Uh, I did always feel bad. I did always repent. Um but this was this is the kind of requirement we had. And and if you missed, um you were made to feel like you missed. People would give you the cold shoulder a little bit. Uh, uh, talk to you in that. Oh, we we wish you wouldn't miss because you're going to go to hell. You know, this is the, the the kind of attitude that you that you get in the vestibule, right? It it's very cult like. Um,
0: church leaders and, don't get to miss. Uh, and oh, no. if you want to be a church leader, you don't you don't get to miss.
1: Right. And so, and I did want to be. And the funny thing is, um, because of who I was, because of where I went to school, uh, because of the because of the work I did, otherwise, uh, they weren't going to get rid of me. And and this is one of the funny things about the Church of Christ that there are modern issues that it has to bow its head to. Uh, and, and one of them is you got to have people that pay the bills and keep doors open. And, uh, and so there were some, some conflicts. It was, it was an interesting time. But back to these, back to these children, eventually, um, some churches of Christ opened nurseries, right? And, and uh, the funny thing about a Church of Christ nursery, about these, about these babies, is um, every nursery in a Church of Christ, it's, it's outside the auditorium, uh, some of them are built right off the sanctuary so that you've got windows, so, the people in the, so that the people in the nursery can ignore the kids climbing on the cribs about to break their necks and pay attention to the preacher. But, but whether they have windows or not, they all have a PA system. And that PA system is running at a volume where uh, the, the people minding the infants can hear the preaching So it's going to be loud enough to be heard over some cries of infants.
0: Right. The reason, of course, is that if you are in a nursery, that's not a get out of church free card. No, you you still have to be actively uh, a part of church. This is also partly why nurseries didn't disband until after the singing. Did the singing right. and the you know right. the front part, and then uh, then you'd go to the nursery because you can't exactly sing with the congregation if you're in the nursery. Even if you're singing in the nursery, right. you're not singing with the congregation, and so it doesn't really count. So um, it was. It's a matter of some debate as to whether listening to the sermon, quote unquote, listening to the sermon while in a nursery counts as listening to the sermon at all
1: right and the so you brought up um not going back to the nursery until uh you know until after the singing's done, and there was another if if that church some churches had communion before uh before uh the sermon some have it afterwards um but if you had uh if you had communion after the sermon, the nursery workers would come back. At least in some, no, now, Occasionally, I'd run across a congregation that um, would deliver communion to the nursery workers.
0: Yeah, I've I've been in a number of churches that would deliver the the communion, but uh, but yeah, not that's, all of them. Do. No, it's strange. Well, right, but you see, this is part of the the uh, dividing line. You see, the real churches uh didn't have nurseries at all because because of these uh, um a a lot of these little things so what the what the preacher was talking about uh raising your kids with church manners uh he would be from uh the background of church of christ people who says look your child needs to learn the value of participating in church and sitting quietly and behaving and by offering a nursery or some kind of children's church, you're actually robbing the child of the ability to learn proper church manners. And so you're, Uh you're actually not doing, you're, you're, you're trying to do something that's convenient, but you're going against God's, uh, Expressed, he would say, word because God teaches you to teach your children uh, uh, rightly from the earliest age, and this would be a part of teaching their children. And so he goes into this part of his sermon uh, where he even makes the statement: "If you are not teaching your children uh, the the ways of the Lord, then you're not obeying the ways of the Lord." Uh, so this is this is kind of a part of that. So. Uh, this is this is not obvious to the listener because you don't understand the whole Church of Christ cult. But in the more conservative branches, yeah, you don't get a nursery or a children's church or anything like that because that is doing just the opposite. You're taking your children out of the opportunity to learn the ways of the Lord instead of, um, you know, instead of uh, leaving them in the. Uh, in in the assembly in in smacking them hard when they uh, play or cry,
1: right? And and all of this, all of this is part of uh, what cults do masterfully, and that is indoctrinate, indoctrinate their members, right? And and so when you when you stick an infant, uh in an auditorium every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, uh, you can't possibly be teaching them to evaluate what is being said to them critically. If you're wondering why folks, well, it's because they don't have critical thinking skill at that age. You're you're indoctrinating them into that belief. Now, maybe, maybe you think that's okay. Maybe you think, but I've I've given them. You know, I'm just, okay. Maybe maybe you think I'm in a cult, but I'm. I don't think I am. And and uh, and I think this. Is, these are the values I want them to have. They've got a family extended, the church family. They've got a an ethical framework that teaches them to be good. Uh, they've got people they can depend on when things go wrong. We get a lot out of church, and so I think it's I think it's fine to indoctrinate them. What you'll discover. Is also that you have given them an implicit group of people that can abuse them, and that they do not have the mental defenses to stop. So I wanna, maybe you think I'm wrong. Go ahead.
0: I, I was just going to say I want to. I want to end on uh, that point. So we'll cover. Th- we'll cover this point last uh, here about uh, the authority. Uh, mm. The the um, assumed authority that that um, church uh, leaders think they have and try to impose uh, and they convince you that they have even at the earliest stage I just wanted to say one more thing about church matters though before we left all right uh, so sure. just as a, a as an example Um, In the churches that I attended mostly as a child, uh, we were very big on uh, church manners and teaching children church manners. And so from the earliest time that I was a child, I was expected to be in the assembly (laughs) and not just well-behaved, but also attentive, yada, yada, yada. And we preached long sermons, you know, kind of like this podcast. Uh, So an, an hour and a half sermon, not that uncommon. Right. Um, my brothers were more the victims of this than me, but, uh, it was not uncommon to be in church as, as a, as a kid under 10, under seven, and you're sitting on the front row or, you know, up up near the front and, um, you, you start to nod off. So there was this one brother in particular, I won't call his name, uh, a, a kind gentleman and i mean that none ironically uh the nicest guy you want to know everybody's uncle um what he would do you know as a as a part of the training of the kids uh is he would keep a straight pin uh at hand and when some kid sitting next to him starts to nod off he just poke him with it
1: <laughs> just, just isn't there a, there's a, <laughs> a name isn't that called it's something like picurism
0: i i don't people
1: that have a fetish for poking people with with sharp i, I think there really is a name i think it's called picurism something I have, something I have
0: like that no idea i just i just know that this was the extent that people took this sort of thing seriously um yeah and by the way Child abuse? No. I'm just stabbing the kids with pins to wake them up in church. And, right. and the They're judge would say, oh, much. well, yeah, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> Next time,
1: I hit them with a stick. <laughs> right. Oh, you use a pin? That's not a pin. This is a pin. <laughs> Crocodile Dundee, right? And, and uh, this is the kind of thing uh, that is allowed. Even today in some places, I'm sure uh, in the Church of Christ. Uh, and and the funny thing about the story just to, to draw out a, a really important detail here Dave is this this guy, uh, by the way, were you ever stuck by a pin?
0: No, but I got really good at a very early age of staying awake during mind numbingly boring, Long sermons.
1: So, well, okay. Let me just ask the the question that I really want to uh, to hang a light on here, and then that, and that is this: If you had fallen asleep and he had stuck you with that straight, pin, would your parents have objected? Hell, no. Right?
0: Oh See, no. That's, yeah. no, 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 no. My parents. Uh, let me let me just. I so I don't want to drag my parents into. Uh, the mud. I love my parents. Uh, they, um, I think they're pretty good folks too. Yeah. So, but they, uh, but they were also crazy cultists. Uh, so that's.
1: Right. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yes, the, it's possible to be both. Yeah, it is, it is <laughs> possible to be both.
0: So they are the kind of people who used to say out loud in public. Uh, my father was a preacher, so from the pulpit, uh, that. Other people had permission to, uh, whip his kids, uh, uh, good old fashioned belt whippings, uh, his kids, if they caught us doing something wrong. And so not only could they do it, but when my parents found out about it, they would double up on the whipping. Get
1: another one at home. Absolutely. Yeah,
0: Absolutely. So this is, this is, uh, you know, what, what would my parents have done if, if, uh, they had known we were stuck with straight pins. They would have brought us home and gave us a whipping for uh, needing
1: to be stuck with a straight pin. And, uh, and this, man, see, it it sounds crazy. And, and it is. And, and this is the sort of thing that we allow to happen to children and cults. and, the it it doesn't end at the beginning of this podcast you said you know i think i think i have a tinge of of ptsd right and and you and you tried to um, make it palatable you know he talked about soldiers and the fact that they go through worse experiences i i agree with every bit of that but when you grow up in a world where your parents give other adults the permission to do uh, to, to do corporal things to you. And then what they do is just accept the word of that adult that you needed it. These do have lasting effects. I, like, I'm, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a sociologist. I'm not a psychiatrist, and I don't play one on a podcast. But I can't imagine that there is any psychologist Sociologist or psychiatrist that would say, oh yeah, that won't leave a scar on your children.
0: Yeah. So this, this brings us uh, to our last point anyway. So we'll use this as a, a segue when you're, when your parents, and by the way, my parents were not unique uh, in nope. this, folks. So um, when your parents make it clear to you that other adults, practically every adult, has the right to physically discipline you and that they will double up on the discipline when you get home, then you are conditioned to believe that anything any adult does to you is not only sanctioned by your parents, but might get doubled up on. So, this is not something I had to deal with in practice. But the implication should be obvious. If, uh, if someone um, suffered some type of sexual abuse from some uh, adult at church or from some known adult who was uh, uh, a friend of the family or whatever, the chances of you going to tell your parents that are, are slim to none because in your mind they would simply blame you for whatever you did wrong and beat you some more or, or what have you. There, there is no way out. There is no safe place as a child when that is how you're raised. There's no safe place. You you can't you can't go to the neighbors, you can't go to the elders, you can't go to the preacher, you can't tell your parents. There is no safe place for you and it is open season for this. And, and this is, we were, I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: Well, I was just going to say we were on the cusp generation of um uh, there was a, there was a time at which schools could deliver corporal punishment to to children, right? They could paddle them.
0: Right, right. And, um, uh, you say that as if that happened rarely.
1: Oh <laughs> uh, no, no. I got, <laughs> I got, my own paddlings in school, but but we were that cusp generation where uh, eventually they started. Uh, first, they just started asking parents, "Was well, it okay if we paddle your kids at school?" And and then somewhat later, they you know, they they would uh, ask about corporal punishment and and ask the parents to sign a letter. Um, today, uh, schools don't get to <laughs> hit your children. Right. But I think um,
0: I think we were probably the last generation where you could just freely beat kids with boards.
1: Right. So when this issue came out in the news, when it when it suddenly started being a big deal, that that uh, that the, the broader public got wind that some kids were being mistreated by the school administrators. They were being singled out, punished and whipped and, and all sorts of. Uh, all sorts of things that shouldn't have been happening to them. Um, my parents sat us down and told us how wrong it would be to take whippings out of school, and that if we got a whipping at school, we'd get another one when we got home.
0: yep that that was the way that was the way of it, um, when and where we grew up. And and it was it was doubly true, if you were a church kid. Yeah, yeah. So, um, the thing that that brought me to to this place in the podcast is when uh, Mazzalongo was um, talking about how. Uh, they train kids at a young age to respect the leaders. You know, this is the preacher, and these yep. are the deacons, and this is the elder. And I, and I blew my stack. Uh, I I paused it there, and I blew my stack for uh, a little bit. And um, this just gives me a little bit of an opportunity to talk about uh, what was behind that. Uh, and I and I just want to say um for the record you should never raise your kids to hold in some special uh sort of reverence people uh whose only form of authority is religious There there is no such thing as religious authority. You should never feel like someone has any authority or or, or ingress to speak into your life because they claim some religious status.
1: Right. Don't do it to yourself. I beg you not to do it to your children. Because. They will spend decades, they will spend decades trying to figure out why they're letting someone abuse them. I Occasionally, um, I work uh, for the Recovering From Religion Hotline project. And we take calls uh, all day from people who have been abused under the guise of religion. And I'm not even telling you that you can't teach your children about your religion. Surely you can. They're going to learn about it at some point. But like David, I'm I'm begging you not to give church leaders implicit control over your children because it can take a lifetime to get rid of it. And and maybe, maybe you think we're just, uh, maybe you think we're wrong, maybe you think we're hypersensitive, maybe you think we're overreacting. And I'm not encouraging you to ignore the base rate of children that are abused versus those who are not. I'm not telling you to ignore the base rate. But what I am saying is, We've had a worldwide epidemic of children who have been uh, abused under the mantle of religion. And it's still coming to the surface. And if you want to avoid it, the very clearest way is to wait until your children are old enough to think about religious ideas for themselves. And then to talk to them about why you believe what you believe and reason them into it. Because at that point, at least there's some chance that you didn't give church leaders an implicit control over your children. And if you think that you're right about your religion, if you think that your religion can stand the light of cold reason, then your children are worth waiting. Because surely you're raising reasonable children. Don't indoctrinate your children. Yeah. Don't give your school leaders or your church leaders implicit control over their minds. You Thank know, you.
0: At the very least, school leaders, uh,
1: background have, checks.
0: Yeah, they, I mean, there's there's yep. a there's a process, a very specific process that they have to go through to become a school leader.
1: Right. A no, re- we don't get it right all the time. E- exactly.
0: Uh, but a religious leader is no more special than the grand poobah of the loyal order of water buffaloes. He, He has no, he has no authority over you or your soul or your children or your household. The only authority a religious person has is that which you grant them. If they can convince you that they have authority, then they have authority. And they don't have to do much convincing to kids who have already been, oh, should I say this? Should I use this word? Who have already been groomed to accept them as authorities in their lives.
1: Right. Um, Indoctrination, I, I think I said this before, I think the way you and I both use it, indoctrination is teaching someone to accept an idea uncritically I beg you not to do that to your kids
0: all right that's gonna that's gonna do it um, the uh, podcast was about an hour and um, this supplemental is an hour and forty two minutes uh we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna stop right here um and so that's I think that's going to do it. Uh, we'll we'll do this again sometime, though. We'll tell you a little bit more about Church of Christism. It's still a thing. It's it still exists. It's still br- oh, you know what we didn't talk about? Mm. Um, oh man, the moment I bring it up, you're going to want to talk about it, and uh, that's going to take us over two hours. Okay,
1: okay, tell me, tell me. <laughs>
0: okay, you ask for it. Um, by the way, people, just so you know, I have not written a single word of work that I have. <laughs> and it's um it's two o'clock. Uh, so I still got to do my job after this, but I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. Um, because it's so important. Uh uh, you remember right around the middle of the podcast uh when he was uh talking about Uh, How people might look down on you because, oh, you believe in the Bible? Oh, bless your heart. Oh, Oh, you believe in the six-day creation? Oh, Oh, no, you're not going to do that. I, I tried to stop it. Uh, Okay, but but it's this. I thought to myself, um, and this is where I felt actually a pang uh, of that uh, PTSD.
1: Uh, yeah.
0: Uh, almost the strongest there because as regressive as that was and it was so cringy for me to listen to it was way cringier for me than you out there in the audience listening I, I assure you because I was there uh, I was I was indoctrinated into that kind of teaching and yeah. I believed that I thought that way um it's, it's in the Bible. God wants you to obey him. He wants you to trust him. He wants you to believe him. And um, if someone comes up to you with some so-called evidence uh, of, of something that uh, contradicts the Bible, such as the six-day creation, uh, you are to hold your ground. Um, I, I threw up a little in my mouth.
1: It reminds me um uh, a number of years ago, you used to see bumper stickers that said, God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Well, but the church of Christ, uh, we used to tell people that bumper sticker's too long. God said it. That settles it. Yep. Doesn't matter whether I believe it or not. Yep.
0: <laughs> yeah. When, um, um, o- obedience works this, this way when, when God says jump, uh, you say how high while you're on the way up, right? <laughs> right, right. That's so. Uh, <laughs> it's 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 that kind of mentality. It's a very Ken Hamish, uh, type of mentality, and it's easy to laugh at a clown like Ken Ham. I actually don't think he's a clown. I well, he is, but religiously speaking i don't think he's a clown i actually think he's um he's he's expressing exactly the kind of theology that i and so many other people grew up
1: believing you know that, that's right and i guess the first thing i want to say on this point is if you read it in any other book you would believe that it was just a claim, right? I, I'm talking. I'm talking in general about any claim. If you, if you read in a book that um, that the Ford Model T uh, got 15 miles to the gallon. By the way, I have no idea what the gas mileage was on the original Ford Model T. I have no idea, none whatsoever. Well, uh, fun you-
0: fact: the uh, original Ford Model T ran on a combination between uh, hydrogen and nuclear power. So that's any, why
1: there's not any of them left. Anyway, this
0: is,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know what makes me say things like this. <laughs> so, but but if you if you if you read it, and you thought it was important that, that you had to to stake something on the outcome of, of the of being right about it getting 15 miles to the gallon, you wouldn't just take the claim in the book as the as the truth of the claim. And and so what I'm saying to you is just because you read it in a book you love, doesn't mean that you should take the claim for the fact of the matter. In fact, if you love the book, you should be more skeptical. You should be more skeptical. Not because the claim is less likely to be true, That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, if it's untrue, you're less likely to know. Right, but
0: this this takes us all the way full circle back to Galatians 1, doesn't it? Um, Yeah. The doctrine that you received was that uh, the earth was created in an act of special creation by God, uh, and it took... Six days to do it. Six literal days, as we count days. That—that that is the doctrine. And no version, not some version, uh, not not theistic evolution. No version of evolution is true. Um, that's the doctrine that you first received. And if anyone brings any other doctrine, in including that which includes so-called evidence, that person is to be accursed. In in his his use of the words so-called evidence, also infected my thinking for a long time, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's it you when whenever a scientist or philosopher, or any any secular person who's not a church preacher, <laughs> whenever they say something, anything, your your first thought should be to be suspicious of it. it. It it should be to suspect it, because these are the fools who think they know better than God. So they bring you so-called evidence. And, and so I learned for a long time to be suspicious of uh, scientific evidences. Yeah.
1: And and we see that um, across a broad, really broad segment of the population, even today, the funny thing is that people don't have to be uh, particularly religious to be skeptical of good evidence. Uh, by the way, yes, uh, scientific evidence, good evidence. Um,
0: Well, but just, you know, look at the Venn diagram, though, of the people who are uh, suspicious about the existence of COVID and conservative Christians. There's a lot of overlap. That's all I'm saying.
1: Yes, yes, there is. Uh, By the way, in case you heard what I just said with your religious ears, I didn't say that all science claims are true. What I did say was that evidence that we reach with the scientific method has a high degree of likelihood to be good evidence. I'm not saying it all will be. I'm not saying that we don't make mistakes. What I am saying is that the scientific method has brought us a long way. And if you want to learn to interpret that evidence, if you want to learn to be skeptical of it in the right way, then you can't throw it all on the scrap heap. You, uh, you have to do the hard work of understanding to the highest degree that you can what makes the method successful, what kinds of conclusions each method is good at, uh, is good at reaching, where the flaws are. It's not easy work. But it's, it's good work. It's good work. And modern,
0: um, academic Christians, I I won't name any names, but maybe people that we have had on our shows, uh, respectfully, um, respectively, what they might say is something they, they would attempt to, uh, equate scientific evidence with other evidences or at least equate other evidences with scientific evidences. So there are other say,
1: ways to reach conclusions. Right.
0: And if you, if you believe then even for a moment that scientific evidence is your best way of knowing things, then they will use, uh, almost as a pejorative, uh, the word scientism. You're just guilty of scientism because you're favoring science over these other methods of knowing. And when you ask them about these other methods of knowing that are just as good as science, they get a little bit quiet and you've got to pull it out of them. but you know ultimately it's uh you know the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. I, I mean you can't discount that that's that's at least as good as anything Einstein said, right right? this is this is where they get it from. These are the kinds of sermons that they listen to week after week after week that inform them in this way. And they hear this sort of thing, this kind of degradation of scientific evidence at every level of religion. I don't care what your denomination is, but it's especially true in uh, ultra-conservative churches. Uh, it's, it's what I have been saying on the podcast for years. And this is just one example of that. You'll, you'll hear it a lot. If you stay tuned to Sunday sermon, speaking of, uh, our callouts, uh, Andrew, uh, you got any shows, uh, to talk to people about, uh, where can they find you?
1: Oh, thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Matthew and I are still putting on still unbelievable. We've got, uh, uh we've got four shows coming up on still unbelievable. Um, there's a, a Christian Science think tank that's putting on um, uh, some questions about science. Can we trust science today? Uh, the group's putting it on is the Christian Evidence uh, Society. And um, they, they have four significant questions that they're going to be examining over the next four weeks. The first one starts first week of March. Um, we will be reviewing every one of those episodes, uh, and the episodes will be played in full on Still Unbelievable, but with our commentary. So a little bit like a forest. Mm-hmm. That, and we did the first batch of these last year, a <clears throat> uh, review of, of uh, some material put out by Christian Evidence Society. So uh, we're doing that again. Uh, we'll do one a week for the four weeks in March. Uh, and, and I encourage people. To come and listen because Christians will be talking about uh, Christians will be talking about modern science and whether it can be trusted. I think John Lennox is uh, is one of the people. Uh, I don't out. remember the speaker lineup off my head, off the top
0: of my head. I'm, I'm out. Yeah, um, yeah. I think I'll be sticking my head in a manhole that day. So uh.
1: I'm I'm not sure that it's John Lennox, but they do have some uh, some top Christian. Scientists that they'll be talking to, um, and we will uh, we will be reviewing. It'll be me and Matthew and uh, and a crowd favorite or still unbelievable. Darren Lute uh, will be joining us, and Darren, of course, has been on uh, skeptics and seekers a number of times. He's a he's a regular contributor on the comment boards, uh, and I always like having Darren. Uh, yeah, uh, he's, Darren's uh, a good thinker.
0: I wouldn't mind showing up for one of those. That's not John Lennox.
1: Well, you're welcome to any of them. I'll uh, I'll send you the schedule and uh and we'll be reviewing you know, right after the shows. So um that's uh that's how that'll work. And thank you. Uh thank you for letting me mention it here.
0: Sure. Um uh, go ahead, you got anything else?
1: Well, no, if uh, they can always of course reach out to still unbelievable at reasonpress at if anybody has any further questions. That's that's the whole thing.
0: Okay. Uh, cool. Uh, and, uh, one more plug red letters. Uh, you've heard me mention red letters. Red letters yep. is the, uh, profit center of my podcasting life. Now, um, it needs more profit. So <laughs> come, <laughs> and, <laughs> come and uh, help me out. It's patreon.com slash red letters. But, uh, what I really want you to do is to read the book, my latest book, Red Letters, A Closer Look at the uh, at the Worst Practical and Moral Teachings in History, uh, and I'm going through the teachings of Jesus uh, in that book, and in the podcast, I am going through uh, the book and doing uh, uh, kind of extra commenta- uh, commentary there. It's been going very well. It uh, It's a very easy sign-up, so uh, come and join the gang patreon.com slash red letters and when you do that you can get your copy of the book for free okay and with that i think uh, gonna... oh okay go ahead. Well,
1: I, i've got to put a plug in if you'll let me for scott i feel
0: oh uh yeah go ahead
1: okay so uh that's i said not...
0: i would do it and i and i didn't so
1: okay so back when David and I worked on the, the book, Still Unbelievable. Um, we had an author join us, uh, Skydive Phil. And Phil is actually the reporter for the Royal Astronomical Society. His his work is, is not just top-notch. His work is world-class. Uh, he's in touch with modern astronomers and cosmologists from all over the world. And these aren't people that just comment on astronomy and cosmology. These are the people that are doing the modern astronomy and cosmology. Now, his most recent video has to do with a response to the Kalam cosmological argument. Uh, it's, it's made most famous by William Lane Craig lately. Uh, the Kalam is, is roughly this. Uh, everything that begins to exist has a cause. The, u- the universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause. And then, um, and then William Lane Craig will go on to try to convince you that that cause uh, can only be God. Well, this has long stuck in the crawl of cosmologists and astronomers who understand the, the deep claims of William Lane Craig's uh, version of the cosmological argument. And they have put together a video that's, uh, as I recall, a little over an hour long. It might be just under an hour. Uh, but these are the best cosmologists and astronomers in the world Replying to the KCA, the Kalam Cosmological Argument. Uh, The video is on Skydive Phil's YouTube channel. Uh, If you think the Kalam makes sense, hit stop right now. Find Skydive Phil's channel. Look at the response to the Kalam Cosmological Argument. I, I guarantee you. I guarantee you when you're done, you will be glad you watched it. I promise you. And you should subscribe to Skydive Phil's channel anyway uh, because his content beyond a response to the KCA is amazing work about how our universe actually works. So go have a look.
0: Okay. Okay. And uh, that turned
1: that, out to be a commercial, didn't it? It uh,
0: it, it did. <laughs> and uh, so uh, patreon.com slash write letters. Uh, and uh... <laughs> And you'll gonna... be
1: glad you did <laughs> good stuff
0: um so uh with that yeah we'll go i'm sure we'll uh, do this again probably in a month and we'll um uh, talk about some of the many many other things that uh we didn't have time to talk about today so um look forward to that and uh, we'll see you next time bye-bye now appreciate it